0: Welcome to First Church, so glad you guys are joining us, whether you're online or in person, we are glad that you are here to worship our God with our church family here today. And if you are here in person, would you put your hands together and welcome in our online community, let them know that we're glad that they are with us here today. Well, I'm not sure if any of you guys have ever played the game Salad Bowl before. Anybody ever played this game at a party? You know what I'm talking about, the Salad Bowl game? Okay, I'm going to teach you something really fun, okay? Because I don't see any hands whatsoever. My small group here at church, we met a few weeks ago, and we had a game night, and we played this game, and it's a whole lot of fun. And It's kind of a mixture of taboo and charades and different games you might be familiar with. But like I said, it's an absolute blast, and this is how you play it. You get a salad bowl, and you give everybody who's there... Uh, several blank sheets of paper slips of paper, like five to eight of them and they're to write on these slips of paper a noun, a person, place, or thing and then you put all of the nouns back into the bowl and you mix them up into the salad bowl. Then you divide the group up into two teams and each team has an opportunity then to guess what is on these slips of paper. So somebody on the team will pick up the paper, they get 45 seconds and they have to first in the first round describe what's on this sheet of paper without using exactly what's on the sheet of paper. So they have to use other words to describe what's on the paper. So you do that. If you get it right, then you get a point. If you have to skip one or pass, you can remember you get 45 seconds, so as many as you can get in that amount of time. If you have to pass, and it's a negative point. Then you go on to the next round, and in the next round, you have to mix these same nouns back up, you draw one, and this time you have to act them out. You can't use any words whatsoever, so you act them out, kind of like charades. And then in the last round, you put the same words back in, and you pick one, and in the final round, you can only use one single word, one single word to describe what's on the paper, and you have to try to guess it. But by this point, you already have a good word bank to use from, because you're using the same nouns over and over again. And this game is a whole lot of fun. It's cheap, it's free, and it can go on forever. And like I said, my group had a fun time. We had such a Fun time that I thought we would play it this morning. So I asked for some of our worship team members to come back out and help me out. So let's give them a round of applause as they come to the stage. And we're just gonna play the first round and we're gonna do it real brief one time through to see if they can guess what's on these sheets of paper. Now, normally if we were playing, I'd have them write out their own downs. I went ahead and did that for them. One, because I don't trust what they would write down. But two, I also wanted to save some time. So, we'll go with guys guys versus girls. The girls, you guys wanna go first? Is that cool? All right, who's gonna guess? You're gonna guess and you're gonna give the clues, right? That's fine, yeah, that's good. Okay, so here we go, we've got a timer. On my TV here, 45 seconds, and when it starts, you can go. Okay. You ready? Go. Uh, in, Br- in Branson, the fun park. It's
1: city. Yep, that's good. <laughs>
0: good. One point. Uh, the uh, weather person who d- we've known for a long time who pr- predicts all the storms. Travis sh- Meyer? Mm-hmm. Travis Meyer. Everybody will probably know Travis Meyer, right? Uh, okay. uh, the place he loves so much, the state. Oh, Kentucky. Uh Yeah, Kentucky, (laughs) all right. Uh, I play the, that thing. The piano? Uh Uh-huh. And uh, the guy in black. Uh, you walk the John line. Cash? Mm-hmm. Oh wow, no, man, no. they're um, killing um, it. Look at uh, this. The thing we all love, uh, and we all have, and play on it. Uh, it's uh, from Apple. Cell phone? No, oh, almost. iPhone. Uh-huh. iPhone. There you go. Three. <laughs> um, um, two, um, oh, one. I don't know who this guy is. Oh, that's minus one. That's minus one. Oh, zero. Yeah. Uh, the, okay. Uh, the movie. Uh, hey, you're you're done. done. That's okay. Oh, Good job, shit. Julie. Though. Good job. All right. So we've got. Good job. One, two, three, four, five, six minus one because you passed on it. And the, and the one you passed on was Eddie Sutton. Any OSU fans in here? Yeah. Okay, that's all right. Also, also, coach at Kentucky, by the way. All right. Let's see if the guys can beat five, okay? That's our number to beat. So here we go. Yeah, let me stand in the middle of you all. Our tech team is going crazy. Okay, you're going to be doing the clues? Okay, all right. All right. So here we go. Okay. Ready? Set our timer. Go. Uh, Disney World, main character. Mickey Mouse. Oh, look at that. Just throw it down. That's fine. Uh, uh, it's a game. They throw a ball over a net. Uh, volleyball? Uh, well. well. Uh, you drink this. Very nutritious. Water? There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Very nutritious. Uh, everybody has, well, a lot of people have these in one of their backpacks. They work on them. Laptop. There you go. Oh, man. I play this. Guitar. There you go. Wow. Uh, it's in a garden. Per- Flower. Color. There you go. Yeah. Uh, people go here and lay in the sun. Beach. Man, wow. Uh, you wear this around. Uh, It's formal wear. Ah, uh, oh, there's uh, the buzz. All right, we'll put that one in there. So let's, he threw them down. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, is that right? Seven. The guys win, awesome, yeah! all right. <laughs> It's all right but hey everybody's a winner here at first church i'm not sure if you guys noticed but last week the staff we were wearing these awesome we are first church shirts we're going to have these available that you guys can purchase starting here in a few weeks and so when they come in you guys will get a free one on us okay so just come see me and you'll get a free one so let's give another round of applause applause for helping us out It was funny when I played with my group a few weeks ago, and we got to write down our own nouns, one that kept popping up and it came up several times in our group was this one, First Church. And it was interesting because we were playing here at our church building, and so it was funny how they would try to describe it. You know, they would point to the wall or maybe point to me or something like that to try to give a hint for First Church. But let me ask you, if you had to describe First Church in just a few words that would give our identity as a church away, how would you describe us? A better question, how would our community describe us, First Church? And even, even a more important question than that, how would our God describe us? How would you describe who we are as a church? Well that's what this series, We Are First Church is all about. We're talking about what makes First Church First Church, who we are as a church family, and the mission that God has given us. Because here's the thing, God has been doing some incredible things in the life of our church over the past year to year and a half, and over our 115-year history, God has been doing some amazing things in and through our church. And last week, as we kicked off this series, we celebrated some of the incredible things that God's been doing over this past year. I mean, we talked about how 114 new families have started worshiping with us have come and worship with us for the first time since we relaunched our in-person services this past June and last Sunday we had four more new families come so we're we're even uh, higher than that 148 families now yeah that's great you guys can clap for that for sure we've had more people baptized in the first five months of 2021 than we did in all of 2020 and not only that We are seeing more and more people attend worship, both online and in person. Our attendance right now is 50% higher than what it was in 2019 at this exact same time. That is incredible. God is doing some phenomenal things. And I bring up those numbers not because we like to brag about numbers, but because those are lives. (laughs) Lives that are being impacted and changed by the gospel of Christ. Lives that matter to God. And talking about lives that matter to God, this past week was a phenomenal week here at First Church. Because we had Kid Fest and we had the chance to introduce some young lives to Jesus and who he is. And if you didn't see on social media, or if you weren't here to see what took place this past week, here's a quick highlight reel. Take a look. <laughs> Yeah you can clap for that. We had hundreds of kids here at our North Granite campus and they had a blast. My wife Allison volunteered in one of the age groups and she said that after one night this little boy in her group walked up to her and said I had no idea Jesus was so cool. I mean how awesome is that? Isn't that sweet? That's the impact that we want to have on young lives. This past Sunday night I had a member of our church tell me this story, they said they know a family that's recently moved to Owasso and they moved to Owasso for a couple different reasons but one reason why they moved here is because they've been watching our church online and they wanted to come be a part of what we're doing as a church. They had different options where they could move and they chose Owasso because they wanted to be a part of what's taking place at First Church. How cool is that? God is doing some incredible things in and through our church. And we say God is doing some incredible things because we give him all the credit. His gracious hand is upon us. And when I think about what's been going on here at First Church, this verse comes to mind. I mentioned it last Sunday and I wanna bring it up again. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. God is working in and through us. We are simply obedient to him. And here's the thing, we don't believe that he's finished with us yet. God has been working in incredible ways over the past 115 years that our church has been in existence. But we don't believe God is finished with us yet. We believe God is just getting started, that He still has great plans for us. One of my favorite verses of Scripture from the Old Testament comes from the book of Joshua. And it's when Joshua is speaking to the people before they got ready to cross the Jordan River. And look what Joshua says. He says, consecrate yourselves. In other words, prepare yourselves. Get yourselves ready. For tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you. And I want you to understand the context in which Joshua says this. And remember, who led the people prior to Joshua? It was Moses. Do you realize all the amazing things that God did through Moses? I mean, like parting of the Red Sea and the plagues in Egypt and leading the people with a cloud by day and pillar of fire at night and manna from heaven and water from a rock and God descending on Mount Sinai and all that awesome stuff that took place during the time of Moses. And yet Joshua speaks to the people and he says, Get ready. Get yourself prepared because God is going to do even more amazing things among us. And I believe that's what God wants us to know as a church today as well. God's been doing amazing things in the life of our church, but I believe he's just getting started. And so we need to make sure that we're a church that stays focused and stays on mission because I believe he wants to use us in incredible ways. And that's why with all this growth that we've been having here recently, we thought it would be a good idea to talk about the DNA of our church. What does it mean to actually be part of First Church? And one thing we said last week, and I want to mention this again, at the core of who we are as a church is our mission, because our mission is to love Jesus and love like Jesus. That's our mission statement, but that's who we are as a church. And we get this from the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us, to love God and love people, love the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We say it like this, love Jesus, love like Jesus. And here's the thing, our methods and how we carry this mission out might change, but our mission remains the same. We know that we are here for a purpose. We are here to unleash a revolution of God's love on the 918 and beyond. We believe we are here to influence and impact the culture around us for the sake of Christ. Because let's face it, this world is a tough place to live at times. I don't know about you, but sometimes I turn on the TV And I watch the news and I want to turn it off because I don't want to hear what's going on in our world right now because this world is a very, very dark and depressing place sometimes. But that's why we're here. We're here to unleash God's love on this world that desperately needs to have a relationship with Him. I once heard somebody use this illustration to talk about the church's mission, and I thought it was really good. This person compared the church's mission to boiling water, probably most of us have boiled water before at some time or another and this person said you know the world is kinda like this pot, it's boiling up the water's boiling because of all the pain and suffering and heartache and hurt that exists in this world everything that sin has done to us it's causing this world to boil up and so when people interact with the world it affects them in some way or another For some people, when they interact with the world and the culture around us, they're kind of like that of an egg. You guys know what happens when you put an egg in boiling water. An egg is soft on the inside, but you put it in boiling water and it hardens. And a lot of people in our world today, they've been hardened by the pressures and stress and anxiety of this world to the point that they've become cynical, cold to people, paranoid. They have cut themselves off from others and isolated themselves, and they're always negative. This world has affected them in such a way that they've become hard-hearted. But then other people are kind of like this potato. You know, what happens when you put a potato in boiling water? Well, it softens it. And so some people, when they've interacted with the world, well, what the world has done to them is it's made them weaker, in the sense that the world has drained them of their strength, drained them of their energy, drained them of their purpose, their meaning for life, they just don't feel like going on anymore. Anybody ever felt like that? But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be coffee bean people. Because what happens when you put coffee beans in boiling water? Well, yes, the boiling water affects the coffee beans, but more importantly, the coffee beans change the water because over time, the water ceases to be water and it starts to be coffee. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to interact with the world in such a way that we change it. We don't let the world change us. But we influence it, we impact it so that we change it and we transform it with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be coffee bean people as followers of Jesus. And that's why we often say around here that we are here so that the joy of heaven can invade the sadness of Earth, The church is a community where the joy of heaven invades the sadness of earth. We are here to shine light in the midst of the darkness. We're not to be wasting our time. We're to be redeeming the time, as the Bible says, because the days are evil. We have a mission. We have a purpose. But here's the thing. In order to live out our purpose, live out our mission, in order to unleash God's love on this world, we have to first be living in God's love ourselves, living in a relationship with Him, because we can't ask people to live a life we're not living ourselves. We can invite people into a life we're not personally living ourselves. I'll never forget a few years ago, Allison and I went on a date night, and we went to a restaurant that we'd never been to before, and she wasn't sure what to get. I order the same thing every place I go because I only eat salads, but she wasn't sure what to eat, and so she asked our waitress what's good here, and the waitress talked about this one dish or this one meal that she said was really, really good, and she talked about what was in it and described it, and it sounded really, really good. She went on and on about it, and then Allison looked at her and said, so, you like it? And she said, well, I've never tried it. That's just what they tell me to tell people. (laughs) Allison wasn't real enthused about, you know, trying it then. At that point, they had trained this girl, but not as good as they should have, I guess. But sometimes I think that's how people feel about the church. We talk about Jesus a lot, and we sing about Jesus. We've got T-shirts that have his name on it, but they don't actually see him in our daily lives. And when they don't see him in us, they're not attracted to him. They don't want anything to do with us. See, before we can change our culture, we have to first let Jesus change us. And that's why here at First Church, you've probably heard me talk about how we have three expectations for everyone who wants to partner with us in ministry, for everyone who wants to be a member of our church, as some churches put it. We have three expectations, and the first expectation that we have is that we want everybody personally pursuing Jesus. Because having a relationship with Jesus is a personal choice that you have to make. No one can force you to have a relationship with Jesus. No one can talk you into it. And when you do choose to have a personal relationship with Jesus, Jesus will transform and change your life. So here at First Church, we want everyone to pursue a transformational relationship with Jesus. And we believe that the better you know him, the better your life will be. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says that he came for a purpose. And he says in John 10, 10, I came to give life, life in all its fullness. See, contrary to what some people believe, Jesus didn't come to hold us back or to limit us or to rob us of having fun in life. No, Jesus came so that we could really live so that we can live the life that God created us to live. He came so that we could have real life, eternal life, more life, and better life than this world can offer us. So many people chase after the things of this world thinking that this world can make them happy, and then they go to bed at night still unsatisfied, still feeling like something it's missing, it's because they're missing having a relationship with Jesus. If you want to live a complete, satisfied, fulfilled life, a life better than you ever dreamed, of you have to have a relationship with jesus and in order to have that relationship you got to get to know him you got to listen to him you got to learn to trust him i love a scene in jesus life when jesus teaching some hard and difficult stuff and so some people who were following him started to abandon him because they thought what jesus was teaching was too hard for them to do And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to abandon me as well, desert me as well? And I love how Peter responds. Peter responds by saying, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. See, Peter knew if I really want to live a satisfied, complete, full life, I need to listen to you. I need to trust you. And guys, what this world needs today is not more stuff, Or more money, bigger house, or better cars, or different people in political offices, or new laws. That's not what we need the most. What this world needs now more than ever is Jesus. This world needs to have a relationship with him because when they do, he will change their lives. And here's the thing, his words of life that can transform and change us are still available to us today. They're found And the Bible, which we call God's Word. And listen to what Second Timothy says about God's Word. Paul writes, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, whether you realize it or not, the Bible is for your good, and it's for my good. The Bible is for our good because sin has corrupted our lives. And we don't know what life is supposed to be all about because sin has messed us up. Satan has lied to us over and over and over again. And what we think life is all about is not life as God intended it to be. So we need to be rewired. And that's why the ultimate goal of Bible study is not memorization but it's transformation. Because it's not just about memorizing a bunch of rules and facts and dates. It's about letting God's Word transform and change your heart, your life. Because we need to be rewired. I'll never forget, several years ago, I wanted to take up golf. I heard that a lot of preachers play golf, so I thought that'd be a good thing for me to do. And so I started to play a little bit of golf, and I wasn't that good, and I wanted to get better. And so I decided to go see a golf pro. And I went to the lessons from this golf pro, and my very first lesson, the golf pro took me out to a driving range, and he said, why don't you swing a few times, and let me observe your swing. I'm like, okay, sure, I can do that. So I went out there, and I hit a few balls, and he stopped me, and he walked up, and he said, you've done this before, haven't you? And I thought, well, (laughs) yes, I have, yeah. I took that as a compliment, like, yeah, you bet I have. You can tell, can't you? And so I looked at him, I said, yes, sir, I, I have played before, and uh, That golfer looked back at me and he said, that's your problem. You need to unlearn everything that you know about golf because you're doing it all wrong. And here's the thing. His words were harsh, but he was right. If I wanted to be a better golfer, I had to unlearn everything I knew and I had to start back at the basics. And here's the thing about life. If we want to really live, I mean, live content, full, complete, satisfied lives, If we want to live the life that our souls are longing for, the life that we were created to live, we've got to unlearn everything that this world has taught us. We've got to walk away from the lies that Satan has fed us. And we've got to listen to God. And that's why Paul says about God's Word that it teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and it trains us. It teaches us in that it shows us what's right. It rebukes us in that it shows us what's not right. It corrects us in that it shows us how to get right and it trains us in that it shows us how to stay right. And the reason why the Bible is able to do this, Paul says, is because it is God-breathed. And I love that compound word, God-breathed. It actually comes from a Greek compound word that is really, really cool. It's the Greek compound word, theonoustos. Can you guys say that with me, theonoustos, on the count of three? One, two, three, theonoustos. God bless you. Now this is a really cool Greek word because it literally means the life breath of God. See, God breathed His very life into the words of Scripture. Just as God breathed life into the human race, remember God breathed life into Adam? God has breathed life into the words of Scripture. And that's why the Bible is unlike any other book, because it contains the living presence of our God. That's why in the book of Hebrews it says this, for the word of God is living and active. When we open up the pages of Scripture, we're not opening up some antiquated book of fables and old rules. We are opening up. The very life breath of God so that God, as we study Scripture, will breathe life into us. You see, through the Bible, we are able to encounter the living God. And that's why studying Scripture is so important. But I wonder if we even realize what we have. I remember several years ago, I had the chance to go to an exhibit that had some ancient biblical documents, you know, Bibles from years ago and pages from Bibles years ago, ancient scrolls and all that kind of stuff. And I remember listening to one of the workers there or one of the guys lead a conversation and he held up a framed um, page from a Bible that was hundreds of years old. And he said, this Bible, we've done some tests on it and it contains traces of human blood. And he explained why. Because there was a time in different parts of Europe where it was illegal for people to personally own a copy of God's Word. And so when the authorities found you with a copy of the Bible, they would kill you. And they would kill you on top of it. They would throw you down on top of it sometimes. And they would take a sword or a spear. And they would stab you on top of it so that your blood flowed onto the pages of Scripture. And then they would pick up The Bible, after they were done, they would tear the pages out and throw them out for the entire town to see as a warning: don't own a Bible. What's interesting is this man he was telling us this, he said, on this one sheet of paper, this loose leaf of page from the Bible, there are dozens of different traces of blood. Because what would happen is the people, after the authorities would leave, they would go and they would pick up these pages. And put them back together because God's word was so valuable to them. Now think about that and compare that to a used bookstore that I used to go to when I lived in Kentucky. I used to occasionally visit this bookstore and they always had a clearance rack. And I would go over to this clearance rack and I would always find Bibles on it. Bibles that were hardly used if used at all like this one. This is one of the Bibles that I found on that clearance rack one time. And they would always be a dollar or two. And to think that in our culture we can go and we can pick up a complete unused copy of God's Word for a dollar or two. And for years, people went and collected the bloodstained pages of Scripture just so that they could have a copy of God's Word and so that God could speak to them in that way. Do we even realize what we have today? See, the reason why sometimes the church isn't doing what we're supposed to be doing isn't because we don't have the words of life. It's just because we're not listening and so we as a church we know what we have And so today, I want to clearly state, as First Church, we are a church that unapologetically and unashamedly teaches and preaches God's Word. See, we believe here at First Church that the Bible is the inspired, meaning God-breathed, inerrant, meaning it is without error and infallible, which means it's reliable and trustworthy, Word of God. At First Church, we believe the Bible is the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God, and we're not going to apologize for that. We are going to continue to preach and teach God's Word because we believe it is directly from Him. And as we study it, He will transform and change our lives. And we believe that as we study it, it will prepare us both for this life and the life to come. That's why Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This book that we call the Bible It's unlike any other book because it prepares us for life now and it prepares us for life in all eternity. The question is, are we going to listen? Are we going to pay attention to what God's Word says to us? And there's a passage in Jesus' life that I think illustrates just how important it is for us to stay focused on Jesus and listen to Him. It's found in Matthew chapter 14. And basically what's going on in this passage is Jesus just fed the 5,000. You may have heard that story before. He fed 5,000 people at one time. And then afterwards, after he feeds 5,000 people, this is what takes place. It says in Matthew chapter 14 that immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, the other side of the lake, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, did you notice what this passage said? It said that Jesus made his disciples get into a boat. They didn't want to get into a boat, probably because a lot of these disciples were fishermen, and they knew that they were getting ready to head into rough waters. There was a storm coming. And the storm was so bad that one translation says that the boat was being pounded by the waves because the wind was blowing against it. These disciples didn't want to get in the boat because they were going to head into rough waters, but Jesus made them get in it anyway. And so I think we need to ask the question, why would Jesus lead his disciples into rough waters? Because Jesus is trying to challenge us in such a way that we will learn to trust him more. You see, storms are clarifying. They reveal who we really believe has the power to save us. If we never experience storms in life, then we have a tendency to trust in ourselves and we only listen to ourselves. But storms allow for us to stretch our faith in such a way that we learn to trust God more. And what I discovered is we will never know what we're capable of fully doing until we fully trust Jesus to lead us. We will never know what God is willing to do in and through us until we learn to fully trust him and follow his guidance. And that's what Jesus is going to teach these disciples. As we read on in Matthew chapter 14, it says, During the fourth watch of the night... Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. How cool would that be, Jesus walking on water here? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. I probably would have been too. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid, Lord. Uh, Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So this is a really cool scene. This is the scene where Jesus is walking on water. The disciples were terrified at first. We would have been too. But still, this would have been a cool thing to behold. And when Peter realizes that it's Jesus walking on the water, I want you to notice what happens. Peter doesn't ask for comfort. He asks for a command. He doesn't say, uh, hey, Jesus, stop the storm real fast. Or Jesus, come over to the boat and keep us safe. He doesn't say that. He doesn't ask for comfort. Peter says, give me a command. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Now, Peter doesn't know how this is going to work out. I mean, it's impossible for a human being to walk on water, right? That's why this is called a miracle. Peter doesn't know how this is going to work out. But Peter says, I'm learning to trust you, Jesus, and if you say that I can walk on the water, then I can do it. Because Peter has come to realize that Jesus never gives a command that isn't accompanied by a promise. See, sometimes in this life when we read the commands of Scripture or we hear the commands of Scripture taught or preached, we think, I can't do that. Guys, Jesus will never tell us to do something without providing a way for us to do it. He promises to always be with us, to help us and give us strength as we try to do life His way, which is really the only way to do life. And so Peter gets to actually walk on the water with Jesus. How cool is that? And everything is going great until Peter takes his eyes off Jesus. Peter starts to look around and he starts to look at the storm around him. He starts to trust in himself rather than trusting in Jesus. And in that moment, Peter starts to sink. Now, this is typically the spot in a lot of sermons on this passage where preachers will give Peter a hard time, like, how dare he not have enough faith and all that kind of stuff. I don't do that. You know why? Because in the history of the world, there have only been two people ever who have walked on water, Jesus and Peter. That's a pretty exclusive group, if you know what I'm saying. And besides that, there were 11 other disciples who were too afraid to get out of the boat in the first place you got 11 other boat potatoes that refuse to get out of the boat because they're scared. See, I'm not going to give Peter a hard time because Peter had enough faith to actually get out of the boat and walk on the water to Jesus. And yes, Peter did fail, but he failed close to Jesus. You see, staying in a boat doesn't keep you safe. It just keeps you the same. And these 11 disciples, they thought they were safe in the boat, but they weren't. There was still a storm going on around them. They weren't safe in the boat. They were safe next to Jesus. And sometimes when we hear the commands of Scripture, we think, I don't know if I can do that because that's going to disrupt my life. I'm comfortable over here living the way that I've been living, and I'd rather just stay right here. Guys, not getting out of the boat, not listening to Jesus, not following His commands, it just keeps you the same. And here's the thing, if you want your life to end up like everyone else, then just keep living like everybody else. But if you want to live a better life, a full life, a complete life, the life that God intended you to live, you gotta listen to Jesus and do what he's asking you to do. See, yes, Peter failed, but he failed close to Jesus. The passage says this, it says, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Peter is close enough to Jesus that Jesus can reach out and grab him and pull him up. See, guys, I just want to let you know we're all going to fail. We're all going to fall short. This is not a church where people act like they have it all together. Some churches do. We're not that church because we're people who are only here by the grace of God. And I want to let you know, you're a preacher. I don't have it all together. And sometimes I get criticized for being too transparent in sermons, and that really doesn't bother me. I want you guys to know that I'm not perfect because you already know that anyway, honestly. I am only here on this stage because of God's grace, we're all gonna fail. But here's the thing: if you're gonna fail, because we all are, whether we're in the boat or not, if we're all gonna fail, we might as well fail close to Jesus, because He's the only one that can pull us up. He's the only one that can lift us from the place where we are sinking. And what I love here about this passage is that Jesus doesn't get mad at Peter. He doesn't criticize Peter. He doesn't like hold Peter's head under the water and say, "Serves you right. You're gonna learn from this one." Doesn't do that. Instead, he's very loving to Peter. He reaches for him and he rescues him. And even Jesus' words here, I think, are more loving than our English translations uh, say. See, in our English translation, it says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? But that, those two words there, little faith, are actually one Greek word that literally mean trusting to little. See, I think what Jesus is really saying here, I think what Jesus is saying is, Peter. You just don't trust me enough yet. That's your problem. You just don't trust me enough yet. After all we've been through, after everything you've seen, you've just watched me feed 5,000 people. You've seen me do all these miracles. You know who I am. You still don't trust me like you should. Guys, I just want to let you know today, Jesus loves you. I know that statement sounds very simplistic, like something you would hear in your children's Sunday school class or whatever. But I think some of us need to hear that today. Your life matters to Jesus. He loves you even when you fail. He loves you. And the reason why we have commands from God and instructions and teachings are not because God wants to rob us of having fun, but it's because he does love us and he wants what's best for us. It's kind of like when I tell my kids not to go play in a busy street. It's not because I want to rob them of the fun of playing in a busy street. It's because I want to protect them and keep them safe, and I want them to live the best life possible. And here's the thing. Our God, He sees the bigger picture. He knows what's best for us. So when He gives us commands and teachings, He's not trying to hold us back or limit us. He's trying to give us the best life possible. And I love how this passage ends. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, Peter and Jesus, the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, this is interesting, because it says that Peter and Jesus got back into the boat. How'd they get back there? Because they were far enough away from the boat that Peter couldn't grab onto the boat when he started sink. He had to cry out to Jesus, right? How'd they get back there? I mean, did Jesus, like... Pick Peter up and throw him over his shoulder. Here, buddy, let's go. The Bible doesn't say that. You know what the Bible says? Jesus reached for his hand. See, I believe what happened here is that Jesus reached for Peter's hand and together they walked on the water back to the boat and got in. Peter actually walked on the water twice. Once to get to Jesus, then he started to sink. Jesus grabs his hand to support him and they walk back together to the boat. That's after he failed, after he still didn't trust Jesus enough. Jesus said, hey, I'm still going to show you what a better life looks like. I'm still going to do great things in your life. And the same is true for you. I don't know where you are right now in life, but I believe that God has great plans in store for you. Now, I believe God has great plans and soar for our church, but we have to learn to trust him and do life with him, to listen to him and follow his words of life because the better you know Jesus, the better your life will be. I have another Bible up here with me. This Bible actually belonged to my grandfather, my papa, my dad's dad. And I love this Bible not because I use it a whole lot. I mean, it's pretty worn and it's falling apart. You can see here the leather is falling off of it. But I love this Bible because it is falling apart. Because I know who my papaw was. And I once heard somebody say, a person who has a Bible that's falling apart is living a life that isn't falling apart. And I love that. And this Bible that I got when my papal died reminds me of that. Guys, we're a church that stands on God's word because we believe it will lead us to the life that God wants us to live. That's who we are as a church and that's what we challenge you to do as well. We stand on God's word because we are First Church and we're following Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this chance we had to open up your word and study it. Father, we thank you for your word that it contains your very life breath and we pray that we allow for your word to change and transform our hearts. May we continue to always listen to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.